This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly is starting right now. Hi, and welcome to EM Weekly. This is your host, Todd DeVoe, with you. And, well, (laughs) I guess the... New Year's dream of not having any major disasters come across the United States and the world uh, has really quickly failed on that one. The winter storms hit hard. Rivers are freezing over. The ocean's coming into Massachusetts and freezing cars into the ground. It's amazing uh, the weather events that we're having here. Today, I, I was listening to a, a different uh, podcast. It's actually on NPR, and they were following global warming issues and the weather patterns and, and these things um, and how, they, how they're affecting us. And whether you believe that global warming is man-made or it's not or it's cyclical or whatever those issues that are going in that's whatever the political side of it is we, we got to agree that there's something going on here and that we have to plan for it i i'm looking to bring in an, a weather expert specifically to talk about global warming or weather pattern changes climate change whatever you want to call it uh, I, i'm not this is I'm not trying to be political here i'm just talking factual aspects of, of the fact that we have areas that are really being impacted by storms whether it's cyclical or, or not, just besides the point, the fact of the matter is, is that as emergency managers, we have to take that into consideration. So if you have any comments or anything, please go to Ian Weekly and, and pop in there and, and tell me how you feel and let's discuss it. Let's let's uh, let's not avoid this conversation uh, about the, what is looking right now as far as weather and, and how it's impacting us as emergency managers, whether it's droughts in California with the wildfires going on or whether it's... Uh, you know that are we out of drought we're not sure we're talking about being california being back in the drought the the weather patterns that are hitting houston the reason why there's floods there some of the some of the issues that are associated with that and also the concepts of are we as emergency managers doing the right thing are we being involved in the planning of cities where they are building more buildings in hazard zones and how does that impact us as emergency managers and how we respond to disasters or and how we respond to events, uh, that type of thing. I was just thinking, realistically, we talked about the fact that if you had an earthquake and there weren't any buildings, is it truly a disaster or just a geological event, right? So if a 7.0 earthquake that happens in the middle of the desert and nothing occurs where damage occurs to any buildings, it's really just a geological event. So when we're building buildings in areas where and historically have burned or flooded, are we creating or allowing the creation of disasters and emergencies to occur. So chew on that for a little bit. And again, just let me know how you feel um, in the comments below as far as that goes. So also, I'd love to have you guys come and be part of the EM Weekly community on Twitter, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, Instagram as well. We're sharing a lot of good information there and also just pushing out news stories uh, from around the globe uh, through those mediums as well. So it's not just about what we're talking about here on Ian Weekly. We're also sharing other ideas and um, stories that are happening around the, uh, around the world. So if you want to stay informed, love to have you join those groups as well. This week's a unique episode. We're actually doing three separate interviews and it's around 
the theme of veteran services. And why is that an emergency management issue? It's debatable, right? So you have the increasing in homeless veteran population uh, around the country. Uh, you have the 22 every day where veterans are killing themselves. And you have other services such as schools and, and job placement and things like this that aren't being necessarily utilized by veterans and that we need to get our veterans to be gainfully employed to be productive citizens once they get out in the transition. So what I have here today is we're speaking to high caliber community which is an app for veterans even if you're not a veteran and you have people that are that are veterans or or that you're working out in the field with them this is an app that you can turn them on to where they can find other veterans in the area and services that um, that they can use the second group we're speaking to is called warrior built and warrior built is a nonprofit organization that is doing recreational therapy right here in southern california uh and they're growing us so they're they're starting another one in Lejeune uh, to be Warrior Built East. So they're working on that right now. That's their goal to have another Warrior Built East in uh, by the end of this year, I believe. And then again, it's another organization that you could put veterans in place with. And one of the things that they're really doing a lot of work with as well is the PTSD uh, portion of it, working with the PTSD Foundation. So another resource that you can turn people on to uh, during a crisis are those two organizations. Third one that we're interviewing today is called Clever Talks. And this is a unique aspect where they are bringing guests in to speak to veterans about business and leadership and just everyday uh, programs uh, for veterans. And it's, it's almost like the TED Talks, if you will. All right. And this is called Clever Talks. Based out of San Diego, I had the opportunity to go to one of their shows. It was amazing. They get CEOs, thought leaders from around the country. You know, Mark Cuban was part of their, of their program. They don't pay their CEOs and stuff. These guys are taking their time to come and speak um, at the Clever Talk. There is a fee to go into uh, Clever Talks. There's really cool stuff there. They had uh, booths and from other organizations from all over the country regarding education, uh, jobs, uh, service organizations that are based on veterans. And so it was a really good uh, experience about to be down there and see it uh, firsthand and how, how that worked. So those are the areas that we're speaking into today. And I want, as emergency managers, we need to think outside of that proverbial box, if you will, because there are more things that are being put on our plates as our profession grows. You know, if you think about what they're doing in Seattle, using the emergency manager to work with the homeless. And so this is the type of stuff that we need to think about if we're going to be doing those other programs of how can we get services for people. So I hope you enjoy the interviews and we'll look forward to you uh, seeing you guys out there on the on Facebook, on Instagram, uh, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And anyway, enjoy. have Alyssa Quinn with me. She's the founder of High Caliber Community, which is a vet app. For lack of a better term, it's 
I don't know. It's going to sound silly, Alyssa, but the way I can explain it, it's a, it's a, it's like a dating app, but you're not trying to date anybody. You're just trying to find friends. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Alyssa, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got yeah. involved in the veteran space obviously as a veteran, but how you got involved in the veteran space and what you're trying to do with the high caliber community. I had joined the Iowa National Guard as a medic about nine years ago now. And when I, uh, when I had joined as a medic after training, I came back home to my unit and geared up to deploy with that, with that unit. And I was injured um, at Mobsite. I had my lower back injured pretty badly. And I think that's important to tell just because I am the only one on our founding team who's not a combat vet, but that has not deterred me from doing this. And I think it's important to, to remember that, you know, we all serve in different ways and different capacities. But anyways, when I came back and I was injured and had to fight to stay in the guard and, uh, I, you know, I, I won that fight and I was able to prove that I could still do my tasks and duties. And But I knew I wanted to be in the uniform more often and I just, I loved it. So I ended up searching across the nation for different full-time National Guard jobs. Uh, and I found a weapons of mass destruction response team in California, uh, which was all full-time guard. I applied for different positions on those teams, and I think it was probably the third or fourth time I applied that they flew me out and interviewed me, and then they ended up hiring me. So... I was on the uh, the civil support team is what they're referred to in the first responder community um, in Northern California. And I was out there for about four years. Towards the end of that time that I was out there, man, I mean, you, you live in California, you know, sometimes people are, are, they're just, they're not as friendly in California. <laughs> like, in, and, and it depends on where you're at, of course. But where I was up uh, just south of Oakland, you know, in the East Bay, it's hard to go out and meet people. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. It's not like anywhere else in the country I've been. So I was actually, towards the end of my time there, I I knew, you know, I voluntarily resigned after about four years. I was ready for a new challenge in life. So um, I had resigned. I I was training my replacement and getting ready to come back to Iowa. But I was still, like, missing social connections. So I was actually using dating apps at the time to find people to hang out with. Like, just you know, I want to go play shuffleboard at a bar and drink some beer. Right. And as I was using these dating apps, first of all, you know, a dating app is a horrible way to find a friend. (laughs) (laughs) And at the time there weren't any, you know, dating apps for, you know, just social interactions other than, you know, maybe Facebook, but Facebook didn't really link you with people, you know, in your community. So, you know, I was using these dating apps and Tinder was one of the main ones. And I found when I was going through Tinder, people I would meet who did not have a military background, it was very difficult for me to just go out casually with them because the question would always come up, well, what do you do? And I would say, well, you know, I'm in the Army National Guard. I'm a full-time National Guard soldier. I'm on a, you know, I, you can't, you don't, you want to be careful about what you say. I'm, I'm on a first response team because you don't want people to to misunderstand or freak out or, and, and oh my gosh, there were always just crazy questions from people because they didn't understand. And after telling that story so many times, I finally decided, you know what, if I'm going to use Tinder, I'm going to be like looking for people who have a military background. And I'm not kidding you. It was like one in every hundred on there either said they were a vet or had a photo of an old photo of them in uniform. And anytime I would see one, one of those guys or gals in uniform, I would like, Yes, you know, I I hit gold. Finally, I got someone who's like me. And, uh, you know, this is all in California, all happening when I was living in California. And it was on Veterans Day 2016 
I had matched with a former Marine on Tinder. And, you know, I told him the whole spiel. I said, hey, I'm just looking for buddies to hang out with. And, and you know, you're a military guy, so you get it. You want to meet up on Vets Day and have a beer. So while we're sitting there at the bar that night, he starts telling me about his time with the Marines and his deployments and how he missed his buddies. And I thought, man, it just, it was like a light bulb. It just went, man, wouldn't it be cool if Tinder did something like this for Vets? Right. But not for dating. Yeah, yeah. Not for dating, not for anything, you know, because, of course, first of all, the ratio was not good. And second of all, I don't want to deal with fraternization. And that's not what I was looking for. I wasn't looking for a date. I was just looking for buddies like me. Mm-hmm. And that's how it really started was, was just this idea of, well, why isn't there something that's, that's exclusive for vets to help them connect with other people in their communities who have similar interests? And a similar, you know, military background, of course. So it started with this very premature thought, and then it grew into a whole bunch of other things, and then scaled back down to what we're launching now, which is an app that is exclusive to military, uh, vets, current service members, retirees, whatever category you're in. As long as you at one point have signed a document, you have worn a uniform, you can be verified by our partners at ID.me. And um, once you get into the profile, select your hobbies, enable your location, and uh, you can connect with people nearby. So you decided, okay, I needed to find a way to find friends. This Tinder thing is kind of a cool idea. It doesn't really work for what I'm trying to do. So you come up with this app. So how did you develop the app? What was that process like? (laughs) Well, we've had to get um, investment because uh, technology is expensive. And I, and I will, you know, I'd be the first to tell people, a lot of times people say, well, why didn't you do a nonprofit? Maybe you could have raised money through donations. And that was my first thought back in, oh, it was probably last December was the first developer I had talked to. So I got this idea for this app. Here's what I want to do. I want to do it nonprofit. And thankfully that person I spoke with was very honest with me. And he said, if you want to do this as a nonprofit, good luck. Hmm. Because when you develop an app, like I said, it, it takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of consistency. It takes a lot of action to get this thing going. You know, you don't want it to just kind of function. You want it to function well. So he had said, you know, if you want it to be nonprofit, you're not going to get the funding you need. Uh, you might, but it's going to be a lot harder. You know, we worked on structuring the company and we worked on doing all the the first steps you take. You know, little things like filing the EIN, filing the patent. Uh, working on customer discovery, all these things that go into starting a business. And I had a hard time with the idea of asking people for money because mm-hmm. uh, I've never done that in my life. But finally, one of my mentors told me, he said, Alyssa, you're not asking people for money. You are giving them an opportunity to be a part of something bigger than them that helps America's veterans. And who doesn't want to be part of that? Right. So... Yeah, when he when he explained it to me that way, that really sunk in. I went, holy cow, you're right. Because hopefully, you know, we get these investors that come in and we make something that's really great and it ends up being this, this wonderful product for, for our veterans and our investors get the money back. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully it all works out well. But that was how, we, um, how we've been able to fund it so far. And yeah, our development team's really great. They gave us a, a grant as well. Um, so, so funding has, I mean, we haven't raised a whole lot, but enough to at least get the first version developed. Now that you, that you're going forward, how are you reaching out to veterans? And that's a two part question here. And the second thing is, how do you think you're going to be able to use this app to be able to help veterans kind of 
I guess, transition back into civilian life and or into some sort of normalcy? So the way we're reaching out to vets in the community now is really by word of mouth and social media. I mean, just in this last week or two, I've gotten phone calls from vets and literally, I mean, more than 1,500 miles away from each other, people who don't have any relation with one another, you know, just different parts of the country who are hearing about this by word of mouth, which is amazing. And that's how I want this to really grow is organically because people who share it word of mouth, they really believe in it. So that's the hope. But other than that, we're using, you know, social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, uh, you know, newsletters to our website, keeping people up to date on our progress, you know, pretty standard stuff. But yeah, word of mouth is ideal. And then for the, the transition, how this is really gearing to help vets, we, we did a survey a few months ago, and we asked specifically, uh, you know, how would you rate your transition? And then what's the number one thing you would say is most difficult or was most difficult about your transition? And this, again, went back into how we selected how this app would launch, what, what we would release first, I guess. But the number one response for transition difficulty was uh, finding connections. That was repeatedly the number one thing. And then the number two thing was finding stable employment. So we looked at our plans and we said, okay, when we launch this app, we want to make sure we're helping provide the connection. So that way, when you get out of the military and you go back home, and I'm from Cedar Rapids, Iowa, so say I'm active duty, I come back home to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and I can't, I'm just not relating as well with my friends and family. Or, like a lot of people do, they come back and there's not as much structure and they're just kind of aggressive and, and confused, you know, or it's just, it's just not the same and you want to be around people who are like you. Mm-hmm. So that's the first step. Let's connect people with people who understand someone that's your brother or sister who lives in your community and who gets it. That's the first thing. The next thing we want to do is to match vets with um, resources in their communities, whether it's, you know, something that's online or something that's, you know, within their city, things like a a good example that I always think of is Hire Heroes USA, Mm -hmm. which is a a nonprofit that helps vets uh, build their resumes and does interview coaching and all these things. Well, a lot of people just don't know about these organizations. So, if we've got a platform that's, you know, a social connection tool for vets and we get enough people in there and then we can include things like resources near them, shoot, even down to connecting people with their local veteran services officer, things like that. That's the route we want to go with this. Have you reached out to any of like the established uh, veterans organizations? I'm reaching out to them yep. to like Warrior Build or Team Rubicon or Red, White and Blue, those organizations that yep. are doing some of this stuff. And, and are they going to be partnering with you on this app or working with you on that? Ideally, what we can do is partner together with these organizations and we would both be listed on each other's platforms as a resource. So I, I think it's incredibly important. All these organizations, we all are working for very similar things, you know, and it's, it's to empower and, and uplift vets, you know, and, and make sure that veterans come back and become contributing members of society and that this 22 a day number goes down significantly. We're all working towards these common goals. And, and I don't believe this kind of fight can be won alone. Honestly, if this fight could be won alone, the VA would have won. Right. You know, it, it, one single place, one single app, one single nonprofit organization, it doesn't, it's not working, just one. We have to work together on this. So yeah, absolutely, I want to partner with these guys. And we've reached out to a few. I think a lot of the problem, you know, one of the, one of the challenges, I guess, that we have in this, it's kind of like a, the best way to describe it is, you know, like a, a preteen uh, teenager where they're not a child, but they're not quite yet a, a teenager or an adult. That's kind of where the, 
the phase that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got the foundation, we're building it, we're beta testing the app. But yeah, we've, we've reached out to a few and, and they're busy just like we are. And, and like I said, right now we're kind of in that awkward stage where people probably aren't so sure, you know, what, what we are or what we're doing. So once we, once we get out in the market, hopefully that, that mind, mind shift uh, will happen. So this organization called 10C, and it's a one-stop center for people that are looking for, well, number one, if you're a nonprofit, you can go there and you can get information about starting a nonprofit in Orange County. If you're a person who's looking for volunteer opportunities, you can go to the 10C and they will hook you up with your skill set to a nonprofit. That's perfect. Yeah. That's perfect. And and I sort of see you guys doing that. When, when people come into the app, the high caliber community or HC2 for short, HC2 is a lot easier to say. Um, when they come into the app, they, they put a little bit about their military background and then it's almost like a game where you select your hobbies and interests. And one of the hobbies that you can select is volunteering. So, I mean, wouldn't it be neat if down the road and we are in, uh, you know, we've got a community in the high caliber app builds up in Orange County. We can identify who in that area is interested in volunteering and then direct message all those people or, you know, put out in the group forum in Orange County, say, hey, here's this organization that helps connect you with uh, with with uh, volunteer opportunities. So listen, so if somebody wanted to get a hold of you or a hold of of the of the app or at least the website, how yep. can how can we find you? Our website is uh, highcalibercommunity.com. They can go there. We also have uh, Facebook and Instagram at highcalibercommunity and Twitter is highcalcom. And of course, any of the founders can be reached, you know, through the contact form on the website or through direct messaging on Facebook. We all monitor it. We all take turns answering questions so okay and here's the toughest question of the day so what book would you recommend to somebody who (laughs) is just starting to get into this area uh, I have a little bit of a backstory with my book okay. idea, I guess. Uh, the book I would recommend, I'm sure other people have said it on your podcast before, um, but the book I would recommend is Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. And the reason for that is, is um, there was a, this guy that I was just, I mean, he was wonderful and he, he impacted my life in a lot of ways. And he's, he's not alive anymore, but I, he had written me a letter at one time about this book he had read. And he said in the letter that he read about the 10,000 hours. And this, this was a few years ago, but in the letter he said, I read about this 10,000 hours and I could, just couldn't stop thinking about you. And, and I know as soon as you find your thing, you're going to find your 10,000 hours and you're going to make it great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing his letter, but it was something very similar to that. But um, I went back and I read that book after, after he passed away. And I read that piece about the 10,000 hours and I thought, wow, this is amazing. And I remember one day... Oh gosh, maybe back in February when I started working on this project and I realized this is big. This is not a small hobby. This is a lifestyle change. You know, this is a big project and I have to be fully committed. And I started to doubt it. And I was like, man, do I I really want to do this? And all of a sudden, I kid you not, his face just lit up the sky and I could, I just heard it 10,000 hours. It's over and over, just his smile and 10,000 hours, 10,000 hours. This is it. Do it. So so that book, I, I would encourage anybody to read, even if you don't have your idea yet or something you're you know, really passionate about and working on, to read that and to realize that, first of all, there are no overnight successes and things will be hard. But if you're willing to dedicate your life and at least 10,000 hours to the thing that matters most, you will accomplish great things. Wow. That's real powerful right there. That's uh, that's been the best uh, yeah. recommendation we've had so far, and that's that's great. Wow. So oh, good. <laughs> 
So, uh, well, first, I just want to say thank you so much for, for taking time out of your day to, you. to talk to us here at Ian Weekly. Just want to let everybody know that I, I'm passionate about uh, this app. Uh, I, I, I'm actually one of the, the beta testers, and and the, the website is, yep, is yep. really put well together. Uh, I think this is going to be something oh, that's going to be a, a game changer for, for lots of people, and it's going to impact uh, veterans' lives in a, in a positive way. So, all right, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much, Todd. We'll be back right after this short break. Emergencies happen, whether they're related to medical emergencies, threats of physical violence, weather related or other. One of the most difficult things during an emergency is to find help and quickly and efficiently communicate with all parties, regardless of whether you're an administrator, law enforcement, or the end user. With Titan HST, we help distort time by creating high-tech yet simple-to-use mobile-based applications that connect you with the people who can help you. At Titan HST, we believe in the power of people. Hi, this is Todd DeVoe from EM Weekly. If your company is in the emergency management and response space, EM Weekly is a place for you to advertise. Each week, we bring in experts in emergency management, response, and leadership from around the world, and they're here to share their best practices. Our listeners are eager to learn about new products and ideas, so this is the space for you. For more information, please contact Brian at brian at emweekly.com. Welcome back from that short break, and let's uh, continue on. Hey guys, I'm here with former Navy Chief Aaron Siebert. He is a combat wounded veteran. He's part of a nonprofit organization called Warrior Built, and he works with the PTSD Foundation. So, Aaron, welcome to EM Weekly. Oh, thanks, Todd. Good to, good to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved with what you're doing and what kind of projects you guys are working on. All right, well, I'm, I'm Aaron Siebert. Again, Todd had mentioned I'm a retired Navy chief. Luckily, I made it there. 2006, I was hit with a mortar round my third time over to Iraq as part of a uh, military Iraqi transition team, helping the Iraqis take over their country. As a part of a 10-man team, in April of uh, 2006, I was hit with uh, over 100 pieces of shrapnel, and my last rights read to me. Basically, I'm on life number two. I'm lucky to be alive, so I um, ended up being the command chief of Wounded War Battalion West, which is owned by the Marine Corps. It's uh, Wounded War Battalion West and East are really designed to take on the um, the, the injuries of uh, combat to ill and uh, guys that have been injured in uh, motor vehicle accidents to just accidents in general. And in doing that, I basically was taking care of veterans, taking care of uh, our, our military, taking care of guys that are that are combat wounded. I myself was there going through a lot of processes on my own, dealing with my own stuff. I retired in 2011, and I said, hey, I still want to be part of something. I still am part of Wounded Warrior Battalion West, getting down there on, on uh, Wednesdays and running a PTSD group there for the combat vets. And then uh, I, I train in an underwater treadmill that has helped my physical injuries to all these other things that I kind of brought with me to to Warbuilt. Nick Ham, the president of Warbuilt, what he wanted to specify, hey, I want something for combat vets where they can come together and uh, have like-minded um, situations and, 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 and uh, environments where they can share and, 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 and thrive. And so it's a vocational recreational therapy piece. It, it, we have a, a motorcycle race team that goes down and races Baja. Um, inside our facility, we have uh, a music room where guys could come in and, and uh, 
jam out and, and, um, and just have some other a- aspects of, uh, of of releasing some of the tension that might build up in combat. We have a gym downstairs that allows the guys to come in if they want and, and utilize that. And then we have a lounge where, you know, war groups are ran through the PTSD Foundation of America, uh, of which I'm part of that as well. And uh, we run groups out of there on Tuesday nights. And a lot of things happen at night. During the day, the guys can come in, but, you know, guys work, and we also want to have the environment for them to be able to do so. Wednesday nights is uh, photography night, and, you know, guys come in for that. And Thursday nights, uh, our softball team gets together um, that we just started probably about four months ago, and it, it, it's taking shape. That's a suggestion from one of the combat vets. They come in here, they're like, hey, can I um, learn how to weld? Yes. Can I start a softball team? Yes. Uh, so it happens. Um, it's, then these guys start to develop relationships. They start hanging out. And they start camaraderie that they had once when they were in the military, and they're able to um, thrive and share and and move on with their lives, hopefully in a better condition. Uh, if they're going to work and they're just going home, home and work, home and work, the environment might not work out for them, and they might need this this extra piece to have that camaraderie that uh, gives them the outlet so that they're not taking this home home to the family and they're not taking it to work with them. They have a place where they can actually release some of that, uh, that, that, that tension, the, the, the rigors of, 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 of dealing with society after getting out and, you know, not having combat buddy that you might have had when you were in and developing that. So that just gives you some insight as to what it's all about. And I'm happy to be part of it. I feel like it's a support network that, uh, that I had when I was in and I still have, I, I kind of took the uniform off just to put uh, another one on. That's still doing the same exact job that I'm, I was doing, doing then just in a different format and different uniforms. So, yeah. So it's great. So it's a continuous service type thing. That's awesome. So, I mean, as a vet, you, you know, get out after, especially after combat and transition back to civilian life is, is really difficult. Talk a little bit about what your work you're doing right now with helping those vets transition from the um, military life, combat life, and into civilian just everyday life. Yeah, you know, a lot of, a lot of us uh, you know, are getting out, and, and we're going to be paid for the rest of our life because of our injuries, because of dealing with things, or, or whatever the situation is. And sometimes these guys feel like they want to work, but they, they, they feel like maybe they're not going to be that great of an employee because they have VA appointments, they have... Uh, situations that they're dealing with, things that are that are that are kind of like popping off, and they're they're unsure of how to go about it. And so, you know, we have we have the computer stations upstairs for guys to work on their resumes, to the VA paperwork, to whatever. But I also have employers coming in here and asking the guys, saying, "Hey, uh, you know, can we get these guys a job?" Some of these guys are like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll take that job. It's a it's a good job. I'll." Um, how can I do it? But working with the employer, the employer's already in, under the understanding, hey, these guys may have two days off next week because they have a VA appointment and they have VA appointments every month or they have VA appointments every week. So can you, instead of giving them a $50,000 package, give them a $40,000 package, but understand they need the leeway to deal with all these situations that arise on their system. So most of the guys that I work with, they come through here and the employers that want to hire these guys put it out hey here's the job title but in order for a combat vet to 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 get that to get to that person they'll come through me and say hey i'd like to work there um at the same time i'm able to evaluate and see if there's anything warrior built or the ptsd foundation of america or any other organization might be able to help these guys out with 
to ensure that it's a successful uh, job opportunity. Now, most of these guys get out and they're in their lanes. They're doing what they want. They're doing what they need to do, and they're taking care of business. And I've only gotten like five or six guys' jobs out of here in the last two and a half years. But it's mainly because these guys are already on their own path. They just need a little extra help with some things. And some other job opportunities that come up from here, may they may transition into that job. But they have the they already have the benefit of the doubt that the employer is understanding what what they're getting and and, and why they're getting them and who they're taking on. So it's a, it's an important cool factor for sure. What's the most common issue you've seen with that transition period? Well, the transition. What happens is you know a lot of these guys they go home to uh, you know middle America. They go home to wherever their home's at, and they basically just they're so used to. And I'll, I'll say you know the, the the military is a very catering concept. I mean, you're there, your housing's covered, uh, everything, you got all these allotments set up, you're you're covered with everything, your medical's taken care of, this, this, and that. When you get out, it all falls back on you as an individual. So you become super overwhelmed with all the taskers at hand that it sometimes overwhelms them to the point where they just rather stay in their house and not really function, uh, be that functional, or they might get out and about, but they're not really engaging in too much because they're already dealing with, hey, I got to pay this bill. I got to pay that bill now. The, the allotments that were set up in the military are no longer allotments. Now I have bills coming to me and how, how am I going to manage all these different things and have a job and be this person that my family wants? You know, when it comes down to it, medical is the last thing on anybody's mind when they're getting out. They're worried about the job. They're worried about how they're going to pay their bills. They're worried about all this. So they can come in kind of kind of dealing with some things that they, they need to talk to some other vets about to navigate the VA system might take about a two year process just to kind of feel comfortable about a going in and getting the benefits that they are, are supposed to be getting. But yeah. The, uh, the biggest problems that I'm seeing with uh, a lot of these guys um, coming through here is that they, uh, the last thing on their mind is that medical piece. And uh, we as veterans don't really always think about how we want to receive our medical care how we want to deal with our medical care and how we want to deal with the VA and the VA sometimes gets a bad rap, but my experience with the VA has been outstanding. It's been working. It's it's I've I've gone in there and gotten the help that I needed, but you have to go through the process. It's a two year learning curve. And a lot of these guys, they're like, Hey, I didn't even know this was part of it and that. And uh, so when they get into the VA, they, they, they're there. It takes the two year process to really kind of get your system all squared away and get, get set up. And some of these guys haven't even done that. So they're they're missing out on some of the benefits by not being involved in that, and they're more worried about getting a job, or they're worried about just staying at home and not dealing with anything that's going on because it's too crazy outside the, the walls. And so that whole environment becomes kind of toxic, and getting those jobs and and dealing with the medical care becomes a secondary thought. So helping them out with that is important. Uh, you know, helping them out from here, we, we got the computer they can get on and start working on their benefits to guys, uh, to VA people that I know or personnel that I know that can help them um, and guide them through some of the processes that can really give them the benefits that they need for them as well as their family sometimes. The nonprofit organizations that we're, we're with, with uh, Warrior Built and the PTSD Foundation of America, Operation Silver Star, Iron Horse Marines, I can go through a long list of uh nonprofits that kind of funnel through here to also help our combat vets because we're just one piece of the pie and there's a lot of pieces that are out there that they don't really know that are resources for them. Um, And it's not something, you know, not all these vets want, want, want. They just come in here and they kind of 
you don't really know what they need until something comes up. And so, yeah, those, those are the complications that, uh, that arise the most. Okay, so one of the things I know that you do is you work with uh, local law enforcement to put them through training on how to deal with veterans issues, specifically the PTSD side of it, to to be able to make those interactions a little less um, advantageous. What kind of program um, is that, and then how can somebody who would like to see that at their PD get a hold of you to uh, have you come and teach those classes? Yeah, you know, I I was um, at Wounded Warrior Battalion West. Uh, I got a request to for the Riverside, actually, you know, it's Riverside uh, Police Department. The negotiators have, had, had requested, hey, some information they wanted to know about PTSD, and then they wanted to run some scenarios on how, how, how do we talk a guy uh, that's dealing with combat PTSD or a combat vet down from a situation that he might be in, whether it's uh, jumping off of a bridge to uh, hostage situations to certain situations that they may deal with in a common way. They want to be trained on how to talk, how to better bring down a situation that that, that, that that may develop. So it's the Riverside negotiators that really got got in touch with me, and uh, they they ever since then they they kind of stayed in touch. They they want a, a perspective from a combat vet versus sometimes the perspective from the um, uh, like the psychologist or psycho- psychiatrist might might look a little bit like it, it has nothing to do with their job. It gives them the, you know the the meanings behind it, but it doesn't really give them the functionality of how to really deal with somebody that's dealing with PTSD. So they really like to kind of kind of spend some time, and they asked if uh, if I'd continue doing these classes. So at a at a warrior build, um, actually on the sixth, uh, we're going to actually have those guys down to um, go through a little bit of classes, ask the questions that they want to know, and and help them understand the mindset of somebody dealing with PTSD or combat PTSD. Then they're going to run some scenarios and say, hey, you know, can we can we talk you down from a bridge? And this is kind of cool because guys that are far enough along with dealing with their PTSD, it's a huge situation, but they're able to um, really keep it in control and go through some processes in the deep parts of their brain you haven't touched on. But they're able to do so because they're going to get into that factor, get into that resistance to the, the situation that's coming up. They're going to get into some of the things that, that are going to trigger some stuff, but they're controlled triggers and they're meant to be here for the purpose of helping out somebody else to understand for the purpose of hopefully keeping somebody from dying suicide by cop or dealing with situations that can hopefully be helped in that environment where the negotiator can talk them out of a situation that if they didn't have that that uh, that that line of communication, that they might not know to use this tactic. So overall, I think that's really a good aspect of it, you know. And that's that's just one little piece of it, you know. We have we have the fire department from uh, Redlands that come down here um, right before we go into Baja. And uh, Todd, you yourself have been here to help uh, help get the guys spun up on on basic first aid. And, uh, and and starting IVs on guys that, that if, we're, if we're in an environment that uh, is down there in Baja and we can't get anybody. So it's really, we can end up in situations where we really need that extensive medical care too. So that training takes into consideration. So we have a full-on class here, you know, giving those guys that basic first aid and that uh, tourniquet class and, and uh, ABCs and just the basics on, on how to stay alive by yourself on a motorcycle out in the middle of nowhere. So there's a, there's a lot of aspects of emergency training, emergency medicine to, you know, also, you know, the mind and how to, how to better help the police deal with guys that are dealing with PTSD. So 
we have those dynamics as well here, here at Warrior Built, and I think uh, it's 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 important that, that we have them. So yeah, I'm I'm available. Just uh, you know, at, at Warrior Built, you can you can look it up online. Uh, my phone number's on there. Um, I give my card out a lot of times. Uh, it, it's on Facebook. Um, Aaron Siebert, if you look me up, it's A A R O N Siebert S E I B E R T. Every week, I usually post you know that we're having our our warrior groups at Warrior Built on Tuesday night, seven thirty to eight thirty for combat vets. So yeah, there's a lot of things that we have that are that are going on. If somebody wanted to donate to the Warrior Built Foundation, how could they do so? Yeah, if somebody wanted to uh, donate to the Warrior Built Foundation, uh, you can go right online to uh, www.warriorbuilt.org or just look up Warrior Built on Google. The Warrior Built Foundation will come up, and at the bottom of the page, um, as you scroll down, it'll say uh, Warrior Built 501c3, which we are. You can donate to to uh, to Warrior The PTSD Foundation's website is at the bottom too. You can click on that because we utilize a lot of their resources and help them out. And and I run the PTSD groups for uh, or, or Warrior groups, so peer to peer mentor groups. And uh, you can also donate to them as well through through their website. There's a lot of, a lot of other organizations. If if Warrior Built isn't for you or you want to know something else to donate to, then contact me. And I also have some of the other ones that we uh, associate ourselves with and. And uh, and help that out. Yeah, definitely. www.warriorbuilt.org, where you can contact me uh, if you have any questions. Aaron Siebert, my phone number nine five one eight zero five two seven three four, and uh, you can get a hold of me on on email at aaron.siebert at ptsdusa.org. Well, that's awesome, Aaron. Thank you so much. And I know that you got a, a busy day going on here, so I'm going to go ahead and, and let you get going. But I just want to say, man, you know, thanks a lot for what you're doing. I, uh, I appreciate it. And just for clarification, Aaron and I did serve together for a bunch of years there in, in the uh, Uncle Sam's uh, Canoe Club with the and also with the Marine Corps. So, Semperify and uh, Strength and Honor. Strength and Honor, Todd. Thanks, brother. Out. I am here with the creator of the Clever Talks, and uh, Chris, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself, your your background, and uh, how you got started with Clever Talks. Absolutely. My name is Chris Soriano. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Clever Talk, and we share the ideas of our active duty and veterans throughout the nation. And this all happened, I'd say, about three and a half years ago when I wanted to create a conference out here in San Diego, and I just wanted to create a conference to inspire other millennials like my myself because I think it's, it's really good to surround yourself with like-minded people. And sure enough, after the conference, a lot of people came up to me and uh, they would say like, oh yeah, you know, I'm a former Navy SEAL. I'm a former, you know, special forces operator. I'm a former Marine. And I meet all these great people and I'd be like, man, these, these people are too young to be formers. You know, they look like my age. And long story short, I realized that I had something here and I wanted to nourish these relationships and make a nonprofit that helps support our military. That's great. Uh, so I looked at uh, some of your stuff online, the Clever Talks, obviously, um, and uh, I was able to attend the uh, Tactical Fest to witness this myself. So everybody out there, this is the real deal. Chris has a really good thing going. A lot of great people. Got to meet a lot of great people. I got to network with a lot of veterans and a lot of other veterans organizations. But the one underlying thing that I did take from this was leadership. And I think that the Clever Talks, in my mind, and, and just as a, a no offense to the TED Talks, because I do enjoy those, but I I think clever talks is like TED talks, but cooler, you know? So, <laughs> <Thank> you. 
<laughs> so okay, tell, tell us a little bit a few about a few of the guests that you've had um, on the Clever Talks. Sure. And I appreciate first that you said that this has to deal with leadership because that was like the original pillar of why we did this, right? To, to help people to become better leaders and, and lead in any way possible, you know, whether they're creating a nonprofit or a for-profit or they're leading their troops out in the battlefield. Uh, leadership is so important. So the guests that we've had are from YouTubers, to even public figures like Shark Tank's Mark Cuban, uh, veteran-owned businesses like Bottle Breacher, to even you know YouTube celebrities like Prince E. So we've had a lot of diverse uh, groups, but the mission and core of this is always to support our service members. Uh, one of those people, to give an example, who's a combination of both, who's a YouTuber as well as a veteran, is C.T. Fletcher. He's known for using profanity to inspire people to work out and lift, and he was able to speak on our platform inspire our troops. Oh, that's awesome. That is really awesome. So tell me a little bit about yourself and, and how you started out in, in this uh, in this endeavor. I started off, I grew up here in San Diego. I was born in the Navy hospital, right like a mile away from our office and, and our headquarters. And I never served. A lot of people say, how's this guy, this civilian know anything about us? And I look at that as like, that's why I'm here. You know, I, this is my chance to give back. And I feel that there's other ways to give back to your country. I'm a proud American. You know, my father came here from the Philippines by serving in the Navy. Uh, my mother is a nurse and, you know, she's been doing that. My father's been doing that for years. And I just grew up with the military, you know, culture. And I was always fascinated about it. I got a degree in communications and I wanted to pursue being an officer and going into the military. But then I was recruited to become a journalist. I ended up appearing on CNN, NBC, One American News. Uh, I was a journalist living that life. And I use those strengths to interview some of the speakers now that we have at, at Clever Talk. Oh, wow. That's pretty exciting. The journalism background is, is definitely uh, shows through uh, with some of the speakers that you had and some of the conversations that you've uh, that you put up there. I find it really interesting that with some of the stuff that you've done, it's been really diverse, like you said before. One of the ones I liked the, so far was the Ted Williams speech, and he was able to get up there and inspire people with his story and the other stories that were out there as well that are really inspiring and shows you that as long as you go forward and you can pull yourself up and you can you can go forward, you can go from being a guy who's living on the street to somebody who is now uh, living the American dream again. How do you find these people? Great question. I find these people by, by looking at some of the problems that our service members are dealing with and veterans. And it, it, it's based on an acronym called PMAF, P-M-A-F, which is physical, mental, and financial. Those are the three sectors which a lot of our service members are always dealing with some sort of trouble. So when it came to Ted Williams, here's a guy who was broke, homeless talk about no money. And he was able to use his talents, like his voice, right? He's the homeless man with the golden voice is how he speaks about it, right? right. And he ended up you know, just, just saying, you know, hey, how you doing in this deep voice to try to make some spare change. And eventually he was able to get out of homelessness and, you know, he, he had a great story. But um, with the financial side, a lot of our service members are like, you know, getting broke. And I'm like, who the hell could help him versus a billionaire like mm -hmm. Shark Tank's Mark Cuban? So I was able to get him to come out to speak. And all of our speakers have spoke for free. We never ask for any money. Uh, we never pay them. You know, we just, we, we do a mutual exchange because I make sure that whoever we put on that stage cares about the troops just as much as I do. That is outstanding that these guys are taking on their time to come and speak to speak to the veterans. And and just for the record, um, I, I served uh, as a 
Navy corpsman uh, from 91 to 97. Uh, I served with the Marine Corps most of my time, so don't ask me Navy questions. I can't, I can't really answer them. Um, <laughs> well, thank you for your service and everything you do. Look how far you've come to still give back. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's my pleasure, actually. But yeah, I mean, and, and giving back to the veterans themselves, you know, there's a few nonprofits and stuff that I that I that I, my circles are in. And I, I do think it's important that we do understand that veterans definitely have a different um, view on, on life sometimes. And sometimes that view uh, may uh, get in the way of success because, and I, and I mean this in the sense that it's really hard. Like I took from me, for me personally, uh, after I got out of the service, it probably took me a good, I don't know, five, six years before I actually became friends with somebody who hasn't served. And it's interesting. Yeah. You know, and, and so that, so I understand where they're coming from. And so you being able to bring people in that aren't service members and to show that they do care and they do understand, uh, I think goes a long way healing um, uh, some people who uh, have been overseas and, and seen things that most people shouldn't see and and that culture so thank you for doing that yes absolutely what's in the future here for clever talks and what what direction are you guys trying to go so the direction we're trying to head into is being able to provide this to our troops on bases uh we'd love to go to afghanistan and iraq wherever these dangerous areas are just so that our troops could take a second to realize that home is still here and it's in sharing your ideas it's in speaking about your story and taking that piece back to the people here in, in San Diego or wherever they are, you know? What I love about technology is that, you know, people come to our conferences because they want to see all these, you know, celebrities or whoever that are public figures, but the larger audience is online. It's not about those in the seat. And that's what I want the future to be. I want our service members who are on deployment to be able to, you know, go to our website and see our talks and, and be uplifted. We all see so much negative news out there that, that they just, you know, they could just look out in the field and realize, man, well, what do I have left? But when you when you could have that good inspirational talk, that's the fuel that keeps you going. And a lot of our service members sometimes forget why they're fighting. They know what they're doing. They know the mission. They know how to accomplish it. But they forget why why they're fighting for that. And and that's where all the complications start. You know, we all want to do what matters and what we think what matters. And there's people like that that just don't care and they just live life. Or there's people that you know what I want to live for a purpose. I want to do something that makes a difference. And, you know, sometimes I forget, oh, why did I even join or, you know, why am I even here? And, you know, a lot of a lot of bad things happen. But but um, once they find the why again, they're, they're back on track. The why. That's my favorite question to ask. Uh, it really it truly is my favorite question to ask. Right. Um, and it changes. Right. Some people's why changes all the time. You know, they got, they got a kid now. My why is my family or no, I don't have a kid. You know, I'm, I'm single and I, I dedicate my, myself to to my nonprofit. And that's what I'm married to right now. <laughs> That's awesome. That is, and you're right. And and we're always changing. We're always growing. And I don't. Th- I think if you if you don't seek to grow, if you don't, you you're just going to become stagnant. And stagnation is what really kills the soul. And I think clever talks yeah. is a really great avenue to keep that soul from uh, from from stagnating and, and asking that why question and really get involved with with the the interesting uh, conversations that people are having out there. So when's your when's right. your next event, sir? Our next one is in March, and uh, we got another one in September. But our, our March event, we're still, you know, tidying up the details, you know, not to tease it too much, but uh, we are in talks with The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, and also uh, we are trying to figure out and solidify other big public figures, such as Jocko Willink, um, even uh, Marcus Luttrell, you know, whoever we can, that our, uh, whoever could put forward that our military really wants to hear from, and, and not hear the same 
you know, speech that they've given in the past, but more like a, you know, a unique perspective. And I want it more interactive where our troops get to ask all the questions that they want with these people. Well, that's kind of cool. Instead of just being like a, like a Ted talk where the guy goes up there for 15 minutes and, and runs his mouth, gets some really good questions from the crowd. That's a really, I like that idea. That's a, I think that's a, a winner right there for sure. Thank you. What other avenues do you have outside of just the um, the, um, the the clever talk events? Um, are you doing more stuff with your with your online things? Are you doing any kind of webinars, teaching type of, of ideas coming through with, with clever? As of now, it's all focused on the conferences as well as tactical fest. Those are the two things that we focus on throughout the year. But but in the meantime, if anything comes up like a podcast, we haven't even started that or. Or, you know, like what you're doing, you know, it's a great thing. I don't want to steal your thunder, but, um, you know, maybe one day in the future we'll get to something like that. Oh, yeah. That's, you know, just to, uh, with my podcast here, um, I started it by because I was bringing student, I was bringing speakers into my online classroom. And I decided, uh, for a friend of mine who was listening to a couple of them, said, hey, you should share these with everybody. And so that's what we started um, doing the podcast. And so same, same kind of thing. You know, I was just giving back to everyone in the emergency management field and leadership uh, because in the end of the day, emergency managers are leading during crisis. And so it's about, about being able to step forward, being that leader during the time of crisis. So what have you learned over your time of doing, doing the um, Clever Talks as far as like leadership and how to lead during crisis? Uh, well, what I've learned um, in terms of leadership is that there's so many little intricate pieces that could really change your life. And, and I was a shy person. I, I still am an introvert. But, you know, you got to know when to turn that off and adapt to the environment. One thing that I've learned from veterans is it, it's, you know, adapt or die. It's more about, you know, find a way when there is no way. And that's the definition of clever, right? you got to find an answer when you don't have an answer. Or, you know, one thing I've also learned from, from service members is your command presence, how you, how you come across. You know, that, that all says volumes. Like, I remember uh, a good buddy of mine named Brady, uh, a Marine, sharing with me, like, see how that guy walks over there? He would point out, and I'd look, and he's like, you could tell that's a civilian. But you see that guy, how he's walking, you could tell that's a Marine. And I'm like, wow, I started looking at the differences in posture, how people present themselves, how they talk, and it all circles back to that leadership. Are you working more along the... Um as you bring in people to speak more along the leadership realms of things, or are you going, are, are you expanding broader on that? So what we're trying to do is ex expand more on some of the issues that our military and families go through. Like one of the talks that we're working with is this, this woman who's sharing like the beauty of receiving a care package and what that means to her while she's on deployment. So she's an active duty service member and she's talking about what's it like. And so she's going to go on our stage and talk about here's what this package looks like. This is how I feel when I'm working and I open this package. So she's like, you know, that little intricate detail, the civilian world, don't they take for granted, like a care package. I get that from FedEx every single day. <laughs> but to a service member that only gets mail once every couple of weeks or whatever, it means the world. Or, you know, what's it like from a spouse's perspective on deployment? How does she feel? You know, this is the first day when her husband leaves. This is how she feels. So like a PowerPoint presentation on what's it like to be mom, dad, and the you know warrior while her husband's a warrior, you know, so that's how she put it. You know, it's like a two point. So, yeah, we're finding intricate stories that we could branch out to the public instead of just the typical, you know, not typical, but the the uh, constant leadership or here's how you become this or, you know, just thinking outside of the box. That's those are great. Those are actually great concepts. You know, it's 
it is foreign to most people to, to understand what it's like to be there and to be able to bring some of that back and, and to be able to break that wall down. Like I said, it makes it easier for your transition uh, back to the uh, civilian world. Right. All right, Chris. Well, we're, we're coming up here. I don't want to take too much more of your time. I definitely uh, uh, excited about talking to you about this. I'd like to talk to you more um, as things come about. And this... Um, and uh, this idea of the Clever Talks, I, I am hooked. I've subscribed to the YouTube channel there. And um, Thanks, brother. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, and, and I'm going to share this. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put all the links to Clever Talk to the YouTube channel. And if there's anything else that you'd like to share, go ahead and shoot that over to me, and, and I'll make sure it's in our notes. Okay. Thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. I look forward to uh, seeing you again, and I definitely uh, look forward to going to TAC Fest and to the Clever Talks. Absolutely. We're going to have a good time at the next one. Can't wait to see you then. 